0: Welcome back, everyone, to Looking for the Ocean, the show where we watch everything that Pixar has ever made, and we talk about what it means to us. I'm Mark Young. I am joined, as always, by Danny Vincent, and today we have a very special guest, Don Reinhart. Say hello to Don, Danny. Hello, dog. (laughs) As well. No, don't, you're who's, gonna
1: cut the dog who's... out. Don't acknowledge the dog.
0: <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> Why would I cut the dog out? <laughs> Why would you I, keep the dog
1: I... in? It's gonna be embarrassing. Don't leave the dog in.
0: All right. And I'm not back. back, to be clear. I'm,
1: <laughs> All right. I'm looking for a sweater that will keep him quiet the entire time. <laughs> what? If we put what the sw- if I put the sweater on him, he doesn't bark. Okay. He's too scared.
0: Don and I were just talking about how we both live in New York. We're like not too far from each other. And Don, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about what you were saying again on mic about how you and Danny know each other.
2: Yeah, so we we grew up together. I've known Danny since like the fourth grade or somewhere around then. I don't know how old you are. when uh... It would
1: have been fifth grade. I didn't live in Chesterton, fourth grade. Perfect. Yeah. So we've known each other since
2: since fifth grade been friends since then and kept in touch after college and particularly, uh, or during and after college and particularly would go see movies together. Um, and this is one of the movies that we saw together. I believe this would be the, the summer, uh, after our freshman year going by the release date.
1: Nope. Oh, wait. Yep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I always remember Dawn. It's, um, I don't know, how do I want to say this? Because it might sound weird coming out of my mouth. It sounds fine in my head, but then when it comes out, of my head, I'm like, that sounds weird. But in a way, I'm surprised you're the friend who's made it this long <laughs> from high school, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I'm always like, yeah, wow, wow. Don Don is someone I can always count on, like, to just pick up a conversation of, like, six months later. <laughs> or, like, you know, something like that, you know?
2: Yeah, that is that is the, uh, the very nice part of... Uh... We we especially in college we wouldn't talk to each other for like six months and then it was like bam right back to to normal as soon as we got in the car to go somewhere so
1: yeah that's, well, a I guess that's a
0: universal thing isn't it it's like you can you can be really tight with people because you're able to spend so little time with them you know and not feel weird about it I just I don't I don't know I don't know I don't hear that talked about a whole lot is that long lasting friendships actually you know, you you wanna you wanna like make time for people and put effort into your relationships. But I think we all have those people like I have a few people from Carbondale where we went to college where I'm like, I could text them out of the blue and it would be like we started up, you know, just like it was, but I don't actually put any time into those relationships, you know? And yeah. yet I consider them not ride or die people, but just always this understanding of like, I will do I will be there for you.
1: There's definitely some people who I know are on our schedule for this year, people who are kind of like, well, Don, I think actually, I think you and I, since Barbenheimer, we've been texting way more often than Mm -hmm. before Barbenheimer. But before, Mm -hmm. or even actually, I think maybe that kind of more started when I met you up with you in New York last the summer before. Um, But even then, before then, it was definitely something where I'd be like, I remember when I first went to New York two years ago and I was like, Uh, Hey Don, you're still visiting New York, and you're like visiting. I live here now. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, that's cool. I'm visiting this week, and that's why we uh, met up uh, and we got ice cream. I remember. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. um, But
0: but so Don, are you like a big Pixar guy?
1: No. Um, Wait, wait, wait. Sorry. Before we talk about Pixar, did he say on Mike what he does? Uh, Like what? no, no. -hmm. I think you have an interesting job, or, or or do you not? I'm just forgetting.
2: I do not, no. Just oh, tech. Just boring...
1: You're employed. Yeah,
2: <laughs> boring remote job. Oh, sorry Well, about that. I mean, we have a tech, a lot of people a tech who job
1: like...
0: is pretty good.
1: Yeah, we have a lot of people who don't. <laughs> I was going like, to a lot of people on the podcast who don't have jobs. Um, <laughs> so... It's
0: it's funny. The two guys now, Don and then the other guy that I met, are have like kind of impressive tech jobs. Remember we had coffee with the one guy who was like, "Oh, ben. what's going on in your life?" And he he was like, "Well, I bought my family a house and <laughs> so they can like uh a, a car so they can like commute and we can see each other." And I was like, oh well, uh you know, I'm not I'm not I'm not too unhappy with my life right now, but I'm just not going to give you all the updates." <laughs> after hearing that. So, yes. Danny, just, what, what you are you You can keep
1: talking. I just realized I might have closed the doors to the litter box, so I'm gonna just quickly check that. Right <laughs> that, that, that that's, that's like an actual emergency thing, I feel I've, like I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I just
0: I just love that your day is like full of misadventure because <laughs> just, of the, the dog sitting.
1: Well, I just saw the cat um, walk over to a box and looks like he's about to poop, so I'm like, I really hope I didn't close the litter box. So You can keep talking though, uh, don't worry. Sorry. Okay, okay.
0: Well, I'm going to I'm going to kind of go on through our our little structure here and I I, I want to ask Don so well it was like what part of a life what part of your life was Pixar or slash is Pixar if you even remember.
2: I guess I I mean my youth, you know. I I was thinking like looking at the the release list here, Inside Out was probably was definitely the last pixar film that i made an effort to go see um i did i saw coco
1: okay good i was about to be like no coco come on well and and
2: i mean just like make an effort like i've i've seen coco seen Cars. i saw cars three but like just as an excuse to get out of the summer heat you know i've seen i'm not gonna go through the whole list but i think inside out after Inside Out, I stopped paying attention. I, I don't know that much about The Good Dinosaur, but I think I, no, I no was knows. just at the, exactly no one knows anything about
1: The Good, that was, the good Dinosaur. Oh, <sharp> its so interesting to me. The Good Dinosaur. Um, maybe I should save this for the Good Dinosaur episode. But I, you know, I was on a box office forum, which is all the people Don met at Barbenheimer, uh, and everyone was convinced The Good Dinosaur was going to be huge because the big movies that summer were Inside Out. And Jurassic World, so it's like Pixar doing dinosaurs. Holy shit, this is gonna be the biggest movie of the year. And then it was like you know Pixar's first bomb. So very anyway. Yeah, yeah.
2: I, I did not find it compelling at all. So I think that was like a good clean break of like that's behind me. But then the yeah,
1: sequels happen. So
2: yeah, and especially like with Coco. I mean, they they keep coming out. They keep coming out with some good stuff. So to truly like put Pixar down and never pick it back up would be foolish
0: do you have a favorite
2: that is so hard honestly I mean I guess I haven't put a tremendous amount of thought in it so like to pick between all of like the the heavy hitters from when we were kids I don't really think I could um well I just wonder if like if you
0: were in at some event and you had to put one on what do you think that would be
1: Ooh, but Mark, that's like a, that's a, that's a blooded question. Cause you see, I'm putting one on an event. I'm not going to pick like Coco. I don't want people to cry at this event. Well, let me, let me change it.
0: Not, <laughs> not an event. Let's say a situation. Let's say you just pick a t- period in time.
2: I have, never I have three nephews. I have three nephews. And so if I mm-hmm. like uncle dad, we've never seen a Pixar film before for some ungodly reason. My parents won't put them on TV. Like, which one am I putting on? Mm-hmm well damn because that's also a loaded scenario just like
1: i picked the incredible a kid would enjoy the most you know yeah yeah because yeah.
2: like I, I i guess the my eye is being drawn to cars honestly if we're just gonna like i won't say it's like the best or whatever but it's like it's fun it's all right low stakes no let, violence let's
1: say let, let's say you are at the museum of moving image and you get to program a screening of one of them with the people there in attendance. Which one do you pick? Because I don't think you pick Carson, because that's not your favorite. That's Cars is your one you show a kid. What's the one you would show because you get the opportunity to show it in front of everyone? Wow. And it doesn't have to be like Wally, because it's the most artistic. It's just your favorite one. Because they'll show Wally anyway. That's <laughs> yeah. it. If you want to pick Wally, feel free to pick Wally. I'm just using that as like, don't pick Wally because it's like the one that, like, well, that's the one that belongs in the museum, you know?
2: I don't know. Maybe The Incredibles. I always liked. And like when we get into what I think of with Pixar, I don't know. It's the same thing with like um, Cars as well. Is that I like the the little bits of Art Deco. I find Pixar films to be like pretty like serene. You know, Cars has like incredible backgrounds and like vistas. And every time I go up to like our cabin and see the clouds over the lake, I always think of like the clouds in Toy Story. And, mm-hmm. I mean, Pixar's reuse that over and over again, the the big fluffy clowns. So like, I don't know. They're all just so calm and pretty. And uh, yeah, so I have I to go is, with the Incredibles because it's just more fun. It's like an action movie, but not as uh, out there. I don't know. But then yeah, do true. you
0: think of what what's your conception of Pixar overall? Like if you had to take it back from like, this is the movie I would choose to represent Pixar. Why and why would that be?
2: My conception of Pixar, uh, I, I, at least how I've always thought about it, is in comparison. So I think of Pixar as like uh, a bit of a middle ground between Disney and DreamWorks, where mm. you know, I again this is relatively uneducated opinion, whatever. But like I think of Disney as uh, not like kitty in a dismissive sense, but like very uh, like young childhood focus. And then DreamWorks uh, animations, like uh, s- creative and like still for kids, but I think of it as like a little bit more like harsher animation, a little bit more like jokes that are winks and nods towards parents, um, a little like less clean. Where I, Pixar, and I <laughs> I forgot that Steve Jobs did not run it. It is it's almost like the the like Apple of. Uh, Yes. Of like animation studios where it's really polished, like imaginative, but like not so out there where DreamWorks like, let's do an ogre, or like, let's do a dragon, where Pixar is like very emotional. uh,
1: Let's get Chris Rock and Stiller to riff sublimely for nice. Yes,
2: exactly. Like where Pixar it's again, the the I think the, the jazz and the art deco are kind of like signifiers that you know it is like their house style but it's also that's that's like appealing to like a kind of person almost or something we're Mm -hmm. trying to be a little highfalutin but it's still a kids movie
0: i like that i almost feel like you're too educated because you're like qualifying your answer by saying it's for a kind of person instead of saying what kind of person that is i think we get a we get a lot of insight out of like quote uneducated responses to this question like danny's parents came on and i think they were like pixar is for children it's like you said it's like polish you can expect a good product something that you would be happy to take your family to and i think that is that's very useful um have you seen turning red
2: no
1: um well let me tell you it's in theaters next month and this episode comes out the day Soul finally gets its long-awaited wide release in theaters. Sorry, I had to get that out mm. there. <laughs> we have to we have to market the pe- the company that this podcast is about, even though we get no pay from them. Um, um,
2: no, I, I've yet to see Turning Red. That has been on my my schedule, but um, have not like put forth the time.
0: Turning Red is worth your time. I actually put a I put it on a little bit this morning as I was prepping for this. To kind of do that, like, get my mind clear, do some com- comparing to Inside Out. Sure, because female like, protagonists.
1: Hmm? Yeah. Sure, because modern female protagonists compared to, like, Brave.
0: Are you, are you being sarcastic? Because I actually think that's... That is actually why I did it to... to no, like, I'm not being sarcastic. I assume be... that was why. Because okay. the yeah, Riley
1: yeah. and May are both, like, tween girls. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. And I don't know. And that was useful. But anyway, the, the big takeaway from that was, like, man, I just actually just really love Turning Red. So I recommend turning red. And then our, our last thing we like to ask people is, is there a point at which you consciously moved away from Pixar?
1: Like when you were like a child going into, because you said you went back for Inside Out, but like, was there a time before then that you just kind of stopped for a bit because you were like, cartoons are for babies or something like that?
2: I'll say, again, okay, looking at release schedule, I'm going to say I probably checked out after Up. Because Toy Story three, mm. I didn't at the time like care or anything, and I was like, ah, oh, it's just more like sequel bait, and like I know that uh, has not held up in retrospect. But Cars um, well, two
1: follows it up. The best well, cars <laughs> in, you missed it.
2: Toy Story three, Cars two, and then I think at that point I was so clocked out that like Brave didn't really register, even though it was original, and then. Monsters University again another sequel and I was like man I do not I I had so, a, when I was like really young I the the concept of like the Disney Vault had me in a vice script and so we got like Lion King 2.5 or whatever because so it was like oh you know straight to DVD but it's going into Disney Vault and I was a kid and I was like that's real this is never gonna come again we have to get this and then I've just been burned by so many like Disney direct to DVD sequels, and that at that point in my life, I was like, "All right, I'm not watching a sequel to a cartoon like ever again." <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Which meant that the 2010s for Pixar were rough for you. I um, yes. actually think Don, that's a really good like transition point to talking about Inside Out, because I think Inside Out was very similar for you that it was for a lot of people, is that, you know, Pixar's coming off of like a bunch of sequels basically and Brave which is a definitely considered to be a middling Pixar movie along the vein of the first Cars I mean that's the general consensus around Brave and then here it is like the guy who directed Up and Monsters Inc comes a new original idea that's literally about your emotions talking and having emotions and it's like here's this creative world here's what Pixar is known to do here are characters that look like nothing we've done before and it's like oh wow this is the return of peak Pixar, and then of course they don't really do anything with it until, I would say honestly, until Soul comes around because Coco feels like a one-off too, uh, and Coco's marketing, of course, was very much like they're just doing the Book of Life again. Was most people's attitude towards that. So, but Inside Out, you know, comes out uh, rave reviews, um, absolutely like considered an immediate Pixar classic. Which is something that... Even I'd say Coco doesn't really get that reputation until it gets on home video. Um, But comes out instant classic. Makes $300 million at the U.S. box office. Uh, As we said in our, um, our Ed Catmull episode... It opens to number two at the box office. Which is something Pixar was afraid of. If not for the fact it becomes the highest grossing film ever to open at number two. And Pixar I believe... Biggest opening weekend yet up to that point. With 90... Oh, sorry. Original. Toy Story 3 obviously opens higher. But with 90 million dollars. Over 90 million dollars. On opening weekend. Because I I forgot to. I really wanted to. There was a trailer for this movie. I, not the teaser trailer. But there's one trailer for this movie I remember loving. And it's set to like more than a feeling. And I remember it like giving me chills. Like in the theater. Every time this trailer would play. I'd be like, oh yeah. That looks like peak Pixar there. But yes, this movie comes out. Um... Rave reviews, huge box office, 7th uh, highest grossing film of 2015 with $858 million worldwide, is nominated at the Oscars for Best Animated Feature and Best Original Screenplay. I believe this is the last Pixar movie to be nominated for a screenplay award, up to this point, because um, Soul misses. And I remember that was a thing, because everyone was I was hoping Soul would get nominated, because then we get a rare occasion where a direct a writer is nominated for both adapted and original in the same year because Kemp Powers wrote Soul and One Night in Miami um, but yes this is a huge financial success, a huge financial success, huge critical success, greatly considered one of Pixar's finest films in recent memory if not one of their finest films ever um, so yeah I think that's a pretty good intro to what Inside Out is uh, <laughs> but where'd be first experience Inside Out? Uh, I may go first because I can lead directly into Dawn because I know when Dawn saw it first. I saw Inside Out uh, I believe Opening Night with my mom because it was a Pixar movie that I thought looked incredible. My mom likes uh, Pixar movies so we both go to see it opening night. If I remember right what is this 2015 so Tim is in yes 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 so I go and judge Speech and Debate Nationals in 2016. In 2015 my dad and Tim are at Speech and Debate Nationals like Tim's a, this is Tim my younger brother Tim's senior year um, so he's at Speech and Debate Nationals when this comes out so my mom and I go and see Inside Out we both think it's fantastic we both don't like well I like the Lava Short when mom goes that volcano thing was stupid uh, <laughs> um, and then we go see it again I think the following Tuesday when my dad is back because my dad loves Pixar and he's like why didn't you wait for me it's because Danny couldn't wait and Danny knew he was going to want to see it again Um and I believe then a few weeks later I see it with Dawn a third time Which Don, I don't know What you remember Out of seeing it But what I remember Is the people behind me Were kids I knew from work And I was like Before the movie We were talking to each I like Fuck this That looks fucking stupid And then the kid's like Is that Hawkeye in front of me And I go Oh shit The kid behind me I know Oh no We've been swearing The whole time Oh no <laughs> uh, But yeah uh, But yeah That's uh, And then you know Saw it again when it played at the student center uh, where we couldn't hear the audio at all because, oh, it was, they played it at the football field at our, at our school. Couldn't hear it at all. You know, just a movie I revisit every time. Like there's, um, last time I saw it before this was before Soul came out and I ran for Pete Doctors. So yeah. But Don, tell me about your experience of Inside Out.
2: Wow. Um, well, I'm going to be, going to be a garbage guest to say I, I remember almost nothing. About the original <laughs> screening, I have I have that like a positive meaningful. positive impression, positive oh. memory.
1: Um, you know what? I also do remember about that screening. Sorry to cut in. I do remember we also maybe we were not talking to you the trailers about the trailers, but I think we were just talking about Mad Max Fury Road because we hadn't seen each other since we'd seen no since you because I saw Mad Max Fury Road with someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hadn't seen a few, and so we were talking about Mad Max Fury Road because that again, summer of 2015 was basically inside out of Mad Max Fury Road. So we t- we talked about that in our last episode, uh, <laughs> or two episodes ago. But yeah, I remember I was talking about Fury Road a lot before the movie started. Sorry, go on.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I I remember very little about the initial viewing besides you know the the emotional impact, um, being impressed uh press and then also like getting ready for this recording. I was thinking, trying to trying to like cast my mind back then. And I remember a lot of the discussion around the movie being like praised as a example of like how to conceptualize your emotions or like how to think through these kinds of things. Like just like. Uh, Psychiatrists or psychologists And and neuroscientists or whatever Being like hey it's kind of close Or like you know good for a lay audience And uh Even being not like used But um Like referenced to a degree For people uh Who you know are learning To to handle their emotions or like deal with addiction Or whatever and like here's like a, A fun lighthearted thing but also Um you know, your emotions are like kind of separate and somewhat controllable and stuff like that. So I, it, the movie is like a learning tool or whatever. Um, I remember thinking was really interesting, but doing a quick double check on that today, it uh, seems to have gone like pretty much nowhere. So I think that was just release hype.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I read about that too, a little bit. It's like, Oh man, the psychologists really love the movie about emotions. Like, no. wow bird monthly thinks the big year is the greatest film of all time true you know eh, but i don't know whatever i the first time that i saw this danny was on that football field that you talked about when it showed at our school it's funny because i wonder like i think that must have been like the year that we started knowing each other but i didn't go with you i went with um my girlfriend at the time and then it was like a double date situation and we were all firmly in the camp of I think there there are like two camps for this movie is like the people that are like what a great attempt at conceptualizing emotions uh, or representing emotions and then there are the other people that's that are like this is not how my mind works and I reject this movie entirely and I think that was originally like the group that i went in that was kind of our general consensus and the thing i remember about seeing it the first time is that i didn't remember a whole lot about the movie like watching it through the first time and now as of this recording i have seen it two and a half times because when i watched it yesterday i had the same thing where just the whole time i was watching this movie i could not concentrate on it because my brain just rejected it and then I had to reset myself and I had to watch a bit of Turning Red and then I watched like 40 minutes of this movie coming in and now I think finally on my second and a half watch I'm finally like coming around to it on its own terms but the first time the first two times I saw it I just had the hardest time like accepting that this is how the movie was going to be Um, and of course like the people around me you know supported that. I think even now it's not like I'm. I'm kind of moving off of our first time we saw it talk. But even even now I'm kind of like I have I have a very hard time with this film, just well, like putting it I, in my brain.
1: I do remember when we saw um, Coco. We, me and Mark, when we saw Coco for the first time, we went with a large group of our friends to you know just see it. And the interesting thing I found about this movie, and I'm bringing this up because we are all white people on this recording. Um, is we, I mentioned that inside with the exception of Mark in this story. Okay. We, we all talk I was like, well, inside, I was the last great Pixar movie. This kind of became a discussion before the movie where every white person there besides Mark was like, yeah, inside, I was great. And every person of color was like, that's not my life. What, what, this girl's crying about having to move to San Francisco and live in a giant house. Fuck her. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Like, and I thought that was a really interesting thing I noticed when we, um, Uh, I feel like that's an interesting point That I should give credence to Even if it doesn't apply to anyone in this recording Because that's something I've noticed pop up Over the years That um, people who Not necessarily people of color But also people who come from a different socioeconomic background um, Are very opposed to this movie Because the whole premise is This girl's mad that she's moving to a huge ass house in San Francisco I can't relate to that That never happened to me growing up You know
0: Yeah (laughs) well I think that's where I would be I'm that's I'm glad that you were a little late, Danny, because it meant that I could finish my breakfast. And if I had not finished that breakfast, I would be coming on here, like, I I would be spewing some hateful things based on that very take. Because I don't know if it's, I don't know if it comes from a place of, like, whiteness. Like, obviously, everything, like, everything I do unavoidably comes from a place of whiteness. Um, But, like, this movie is so frustrating Partly because it's about like these people who seem like, you know, stereotypical America, you know, where's the Greta Gerwig adaptation of a Pixar movie, right? And that's part of what's so annoying Francisco. about it. You used to live in San Francisco?
1: I was trying to quote Lady Bird when she's like, I used to live in Sacramento, but I was like, San Francisco.
0: Wow. <laughs> What a iconic line <laughs> I from Lady Bird? I used to live in a fucking place. All <laughs> the whole right, the movie's
1: about Sacramento.
0: Sorry, I don't even know if I was articulate there. I was just like, yeah this this movie makes people angry as well. The, but um,
2: I, like a, a quick point and then like a half point. I I don't know if we want to like follow that segue yet. But like the quick point is like that's so interesting. How hard you bounced off of it. You know, usually when I think of like somebody bouncing off a movie, it's either like flatly rejecting a children's movie or like flatly rejecting a violent mafia movie because it's like not what they want. But I don't know. It's very like it was shocking to me to hear somebody watch a Pixar movie and be like, I hate this. I completely disagree with it. That's so funny to me. And Mm -hmm. I had the exact opposite where I saw, you know, Danny nine years ago never rewatched it never like thought that much about it but then rewatching it yesterday i was like almost remembering beat for beat like it was so familiar for some reason the 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 broccoli the clown um and then obviously the 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 apex at the end with the, the the rocket ship like it felt like i watched the movie a week ago so that's crazy that you hated it so much that you remember anything at all? Or I don't know, clearly I liked it more than I thought I did. And then,
0: well, oh, well, sorry, go on, go on, go on.
2: uh, I just want to put the stake in the ground um, and we can come back if we want. But yeah, the discussion of like, this is so unfamiliar. Like this family, I I noted that the dad works in tech, uh, his startup brain, um, and he talked about doing layoffs. So he's a boss. So he's like an exec in tech, dealing directly with VC, like obviously um, very well afforded. And that like the material conditions or whatever, that was like the first thing I thought of like, oh, hockey. Like her parents are home all the time. And like they also, you know, have their emotions yeah. together. So they're able to do all these good memories. And we, we don't have to go like too deep in the psychology quite yet. But I, I think – Going back to the, like, initial reaction of the movie of, oh, is this such a good teaching tour or whatever, there's also that initial reaction of the movie of, oh, I want to see the sick and twisted version of this. Like, wouldn't it be so funny if, you know, they did an Inside Out 2 where the person, like, was on drugs or how would this look like if they had, like... It's like um, a...
1: It's kind of like Inception in a way, too. I remember when Inception came out, the whole thing was like, these people are just in hotels and, like, skiing in a dream. That's not what people dream. What? Yeah. Why are they, like... Why isn't everything just falling apart constantly? Like, and not like an inception. I mean, like, why isn't like things just flip, you know, why isn't this more trippy, you know?
2: Yeah. Mm. Or what, you know, what about somebody who's born like without joy? You know, whatever. We, so we don't, we don't have to go like too far in that counter example. Um, yeah. But those, like, what if it was sick and twisted? That's the same thing with the, like, what if it was for somebody who wasn't from an awesome, like, upbringing with supportive parents? Like, would they have all these same islands um, like, oh, she she fell apart when she moved. But how would a, these like basic childhoods emotions deal with like abuse or absent parents or whatever? So not to be like, oh, I'm the Joker baby, I'm so sick and twisted. But that <laughs> I, that was my first thing too. Not to dislike the movie, but like this exact story is only possible because her parents got money.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think my response my response to that and and also to myself is that like that is me wanting this movie to be something that it's not, you know? And I think that's why I needed to watch it another half time before I came on here because the first time I was just like I want this to be something else. And then the second time around, I'm like, "You know what? I know what's going to happen now. I have to rewatch this movie" not expecting anything else not thinking about what could be but actually to like buy into this world and the rules of these characters and just follow it out um now and i I think watching something like turning red where like all of their emotions are revealed through action and the production design is like the opposite of like super minimalist inside out. It was just nice to have something that kind of clarified clarified inside out for me and made it made it like manageable in my brain and that that has kind of put me at peace with it too, you know.
1: I, I think also, and this is a big I know, deaf of the author, blah blah blah, but I think Pete Doctor's latter two features, soul and this, are so clearly like I don't want to say autobiographical. But, like, it's something where it's like, this is a movie about my daughter and how I don't understand her anymore. Let me make a movie trying to work through that. Because um, my daughter, I just noticed on Wikipedia, I remember this also from just my knowledge of the film, is the idea came from him noticing his daughter was becoming quiet and more reserved as she became older. So it's like, what is going on in her head? Let me make a movie about that. Um, which I think plays into, of course, the father being very well off. Because, of course, Pete Doctor's family is well off, because they are. He's an Academy Award-winning director at the biggest grossing film like company ever, you know? So, but mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but...
0: Yeah. It is, I don't know, it does seem a little bit dishonest that none of the characters have emotional problems. And, I don't know, maybe people don't. They do.
1: I, they get it over the film. They... <laughs> Sorry, uh,
0: hi. yeah, but I mean, like, no one's, like, dep- no one is, like, you know, well, th- this is exactly what, Don, you were talking about, is like, why, why, I'm not, I'm like, why doesn't one of these people have, like, crippling depression or something That's like that? That's what
1: the sequel's about. Didn't you see the trailer? Uh, the Anxiety's sequel's puberty. Be
2: there. It's about anxiety. I, yeah, yeah, I yeah. love,
0: I love that Inside <laughs> Out 2 is coming out now and we can make all these jokes about, like,
2: <laughs> I that. don't
0: know, anx- Anxiety. <laughs> anxiety isn't like exactly this but it just makes me i i just i'm looking forward to people being like wow inside out 2 is really woke but i don't know why it's going to be woke yet <laughs> i just think I, I just predict that inside out 2 is going to be woke somehow. i mean i think
1: uh i remember the head canon being of this movie the big thing was you know uh why does riley have men emotions when everyone else we see only has their own gender emotions. And the obvious actual answer is... Because she's our main character. <laughs> and that is why we have different genders in her head. Because we can't have it all female cast because it's 2015. And that's, next year we're going to put out a Ghostbusters movie with all women. it's going to come and go insane. So we can't do that. <laughs> um, but... You know, everyone... I think there's a pretty solid headcanon that I always saw where it was like, well, she's going to be non-binary. Well, they're going to be non-binary and realize that later on in life. And like, well, that's interesting. Sure, I will accept that as an idea. Uh, but also, I think Pixar wasn't thinking that far ahead.
2: No, that that is... That is such a more interesting... Yeah, like headcanon or fan theory where... Uh, inside the other people's heads and the the montage at the end of the movie really makes it clear is not only uh, other people's heads their emotions are all like homogenous you know they they all have the glasses yeah. they're all the same gender blah 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 but i also realized um all the other characters the inside of their head has a backdrop to the stage to make it more yes. interesting like it it's just a. uh simplifying everything so that it's like more interesting in these brief flashes. Right. Because inside of Riley's head, it's this like, you know, the futuristic, like space needle, it's really open and airy where like the teenage boy's head, he has like the skate ramps and amps. Um, the dad's head is like really militarized, which I thought was an interesting part of gender that we could come back to. Um, but like everybody else's, it's just the the console and then a backdrop that's like themed. So I think, I guess that, that scene is the most like practical reason that Riley's was different, yeah, because she's the main character. But everyone else's was the same because you need to just like in a snap understand like some amount of characterization from like the setting and the character design.
1: I wanna uh, I wanna find this tweet about Inside Out two, um, which I don't wanna talk too much about because obviously this is an Inside Out episode and we will eventually cover Inside Out two, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a tweet that really uh, really summed up part of my thoughts of this film, anyway. Uh, oh, alright, yeah, 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 I found it. Zach Sellerberg on Twitter said, Twitter guy. Um, they already showed us that everyone in the world has those five emotions, even adults. So, are these new emotions temporary? Is Riley the only one to get them? Or is this a terrible retcon that's going to ruin everything? And then target audience joy is my favorite she's yellow and she's nice but <laughs> yeah. let me tell you i am the first guy i do not understand the whole premise of the sequel being that there are new emotions when we well, see teenagers think... in this one without them and i know the point is because this is a hook this is a hook that will get people in yeah
0: i don't know i also that's kind of part of me Don, being I like see you hand. have to I'm no
2: i'm sorry i'm tra- my, my like camera has a little like
0: hand oh, thing
2: it to make it stop moving So i find that annoying oh, i thought you were raising your hand
1: no oh my sorry. gosh is
0: it doing that automatically <laughs> yeah
1: i got that's my work crazy. to pay baller.
0: oh my gosh that's amazing and if the
2: hand oh. things work you can also like zoom using the hand stuff and then sorry this is so boring for your audience but you can also like go down and do like oh, a whiteboard mode it's dope it's really cool if they, uh, I'm not going to say didn't. the name though because so they're not sponsoring your podcast and they do sponsor so I'm going to zip my oh. lips till the bucks come in
1: yeah I've been mm. called thank call. you
0: very much
2: <laughs> I always thought <laughs> that would be more like, are, like buried, you know a, a person on YouTube with like a hundred followers will like blur the logo of you know Jif peanut butter and it's like yeah dude you got to protect that sponsorship <laughs> bucks. they're going to their marketing director is going to reach out to you tomorrow so that you represent Morton <laughs> Salt
1: <laughs> um, but okay, Mark. Sorry, what were you saying? Because I was distracted by Todd raising his hand. No, sorry. I, I,
0: I'm sorry. I, I enjoyed the idea of like not advertising Morton Salt. <laughs> but anyway, that's really the
1: episode not sponsored by Morton Salt. Not,
0: um. <laughs> um. But. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but anyway, I, I but I think that's part of like buying into the rules of the film in is that there there are not actual rules in this world. I think that is a thing about Pete Doctor movies, is that if you kind of stop expecting the world to behave in some way that like is Logically consistent or whatever, I think then you you will be better able to engage with the plot and the ideas. Like I definitely think, even
1: sorry, I thought you were done.
0: Sorry. Well, no, 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 I mean that's like that's I mean that's basically my statement.
1: I definitely think uh, on a personal note is that this watch for me is finally the time it wavered from a five star movie to a four point five because. Um, You know, people always this is this has been the criticism of this movie since it came out, and Mark kind of expressed it. But it's just as metaphor, some of the stuff makes no sense in this movie. Uh, It's kind of wheel because what matters obviously is what's in the real world, like right. That's what actually matters. Joy's arc isn't is metaphor. We don't necessarily need to see Joy learn the purpose of sadness. The point is is that it's teaching the audience the purpose of sadness and Riley the purpose of sadness ergo the stuff in the memory dump where she realized it that's fantastic that's great but do we need things like I'm trying to remember what particularly really like I was just like what is this even supposed to represent I think it was like I think it was like Joy trying to get in like the tube and pushing sadness out or no, I don't even think it was that it was something else it's like all this stuff that's going on in her head is like I don't fully get it um entirely I don't get what it's supposed to represent as like uh, or, like, oh, I remember what I was thinking of. It's like when she is, like, when they're on the train of thought about to finally get up there, and then whatever islands, the Honesty Island falls, and the train of thought just gets thrown against the wall, knocking over tons of memories. I'm like, okay, so, like, is she forgetting a ton of shit right now? <laughs> is Riley just losing memories? Is, is she just not thinking at all? Like, what is, like, what, is, and I know what you're saying, Mark. You're like, the rules never really matter in a Pete Doctor movie. But in this sense, it does set up these other rules. The train of thought runs when Riley is thinking. Okay, so is it telling me she's not thinking anymore? If so, how are it later when they stop it? She's not thinking. She has no thoughts right now. The train of thought has been derailed. And it's just, at that point, I was just like, okay, I see why this movie collapses for some people. Because even though I still enjoy it all, it's still really like, I'm, as I said, it's like it goes from a five-star movie to a 4.5 out of five movie to me. Like, I get why people... It it drives people insane thinking about this movie um, when that happened.
0: But you can get there. That's kind of what was illuminating for me is that, oh, well, sadness suddenly trying to touch all of the memories is actually what would happen when someone moves away from their old place and suddenly all of those do become tinged with sadness. And there is this internal emotional struggle to even like feel sad when the question, though. you're a little kid i think that's like a, a big part of, like it's even even when we were talking about ghibli films um last week it's like you see these more this more mature anime style or whatever we said and it's like when you're a little kid you can be turned off a little bit because it's like oh well i don't want something that's like dark i want like goofy cartoon characters like in Toy Story 2, the VHS that I'm watching and seeing the Kiki's Delivery Service trailers, you know? So I think that that actually isn't a real place. But you do have to rewire your brain like you said, unless unless you just click with it, you have to like uh, rewire your brain though, to see everything as like, all right, what I'm seeing right now is not actually what what is happening. Even in the real world, these are not the most expressive characters, so I have to like do mental work to I'm figure about, out what is going on here.
1: I'm about to trash a movie I really like because I do really like this movie, okay? Um, but I do think it requires a lot of buy-in in a sense that even like movies like Wall-E and Up don't. Because the fact is, is that these characters are not characters. They exist solely in metaphor, really. So it's hard to reconcile the idea of, say, like what you're saying. It makes sense that Sadness would tinge memories, old memories. Okay, but in the film, the character of Sadness has this undying, like, compulsion to touch everything that she's not supposed to touch. In which case, it's like, this is kind of frustrating because I don't understand why this character is doing it. But the thing is you need to remember these aren't characters they are metaphor for riley which is something that can be kind of hard to do at points when you're watching which makes in a way joy very sympathetic because she is a character who also does not understand why these characters are doing this to her but also it's frustrating too because you know uh as soon as like the mom says just be happy for us," you're like oh shit like that's what this movie's about trying to force your child to be happy just by making a one-off comment and not realizing the damage that can do interiorly. Um, and I say all that getting it out of the way, because I, too, really love this movie. I do think it really was a return to form for Pixar, even if it didn't pan out that like their movies were consistently returned to form afterwards. Um, I think this is a better film than Up, definitely. I think this is on the level of Monsters, Inc. for Pete Docter's films. But I think it is a film that requires so much buy-in that it, it can be frustrating at points. And you have to be very, very paying attention to it in a way that... It sounds weird, because I think if you're a child, this movie makes total sense. Right? Like, it makes complete sense, this movie. But I think as an adult, you really have to pay attention to it, because otherwise you're going to be caught up in stuff that feels like you probably... The movie doesn't want you to get caught up in. I, I think it's a great
2: movie. <laughs> as, as I was falling asleep, the like phrase that came to my mind i don't know if you've ever heard it but um how many angels can dance on the head of a pin that's like a mm-hmm. old rhetorical thing about like overly specific religious debates and like philosophizing or whatever but it kind of just that has turned into uh you know like a pointless pointlessly specific argument because i yeah like can the emotions get injured it kind of you know they kind of have a pain response but like not really and she falls like this great like but like this is a children's cartoon like not a lot of the rules seem to make sense like how heavy are uh, my immediate reaction when i saw this i know it's supposed to be metaphor but i guess it was like obviously this has to be metaphor because they clearly have MRIs in this world, you know this is actually <laughs> what the inside of these people's right. You know, in Monster Zing, the doors do you know like open to a different portal, right? So if we get like engage the the world is completely different from ours, that has different rules. I was like, well, they gotta have MRIs because they have like other advanced like uh, technology. So yeah, I guess this does have to be metaphorical. There's no chance for this to be literal. Um, yeah. But yeah, oh, like,
0: you mean because they would be able to see the little people with the MRI machine? Exactly, take an MRI and see, <laughs> oh. you know,
2: the space noodle needle in your head and all that stuff. Like,
0: <laughs> the, I get, I got you, I got you.
2: I'm just throwing it out there. Like, for a children's movie, isn't that preposterous that they would make the inside of your head? Uh, hollow.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe Danny will appreciate this, but when you said they must have MRI machines, I was <laughs> I like, Beca-
1: because his mom's alive. <laughs> <laughs> That's a callback joke to something we said, and maybe it was last week's episode or the week before. We talked about the line in Interstellar that cracks me up every time. We talked about MRIs. <laughs> Talks about... it's a long
0: it's a long quote. We can like return to it. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We yeah. said um, we said it, we yeah, it recently,
1: yeah. so on the podcast, so I can't I can't waste the time to say it again. Um, yeah. But all that like I feel like that's all the table setting of like this movie's metaphor and like what it's about. Then now we can talk about the film. <laughs> now, you know what I mean? Like the tangible qualities of the film. Uh, one thought I had during this rewatch I think it's a thought I've always had about this movie is that um well there's one thought that I'll hold on to but there are two f- awards I think this movie should have been nominated for that it was never nominated for and like various things one of them I'll table for a bit but the first one I want to talk about is like if we were allowed to nominate animated films for best ensemble I think this is clearly like one of the greatest ensembles ever like assembled in an animated movie everyone fits their character perfectly, it is impossible to say, what like, it'd be like, oh, Richard Kind is so great in this movie. Oh, yes, but, um, uh, Pillahater as Fear, oh, great. You know, Mindy Cannon's done it in a lot, but, like, oh, like, you cannot single out someone in this movie. Everyone in this movie is so fantastic. I remember, because, um, that, that, that box office board that I was telling, we went to Barbara and we have, like, awards every year. And we had, like, a, uh, I should look this up really quickly. We had a voice ca- voiceover category. Uh, let me look this up, and I I wonder what was nominated. I know Phyllis Smith ended up winning, uh, but I'm just trying to remember who were the. I think we nominated Louis Black. I think the entire category is basically nominees from Inside Out, basically. Um, well, you looked that like-
2: up just to fill the air, yes, yeah. very stacked voice cast. And I wanted to point out uh, they also had Paula Poundstone and Peter Sagal. And uh, any of the listeners uh, also listen to NPR, uh, the host and very common guest on NPR's hit radio show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. So I know I guess they are both in like comedy, but I don't know. The casting director was like, man, I I love this NPR radio show. I got to give them a spot in my movie. I thought that was funny oh and then also well, um, the Muppets not beating the show white up.
0: people movie allegations
2: <laughs> yeah exactly
0: anyway
2: go on you know, <laughs> it, it, the Muppets show says up. says a lot about so. me like oh yeah wow those people from NPR <laughs> and, and <laughs> one last uh, fun voice credit the guy who did the um, Brazilian helicopter pilot uh, he's in a huge amount of other stuff but he also did the Taco Bell Chihuahua so back to Danny after those two fun
1: cameos alright so I found oh. that it had four nominations so now I'm gonna go crazy trying to find out what the other film nominated was cause now I'm gonna I'm just like who was it who else did we nominate but the four we nominated for Inside Out were um, Louis Black Richard Kine Amy Poehler and Phyllis Smith um, and Phyllis Smith won um, now, I'm, now I'm just gonna quickly see what the other nom was cause I'm like who was the one that's snuck? oh Jennifer Jason Lee from Anomalisa was the fifth nomination there so mm. I was just curious who snuck in from another movie um what a good but year. yeah
0: what what a good year that Anomalisa came out that same year you know
1: yeah uh, I um, I think uh 2015 was just a uh it was a well the other animated films that year we nominated were Shaun the Sheep the Good Dinosaur and When Marnie was there so I think it really was Inside Out and Anomalisa's year really you know
0: yeah Not to make the same point in a different context, but I think the the voice acting is so good it's a little bit jarring for me, because I think that Amy Poehler is doing a lot of work vocally that the model of joy is not doing, and that kind of throws me a little bit. I don't, and I even think that on like rewatching too, I think that the something about the acting in this, this movie. Like the the animated acting doesn't exactly work for me, but the voices are incredible. I think that Amy Poehler puts so she's so full of doubt, and she is full of anxiety all the time. And like the character of Joy never really expresses that.
1: Sure, but I do think though on the counterpoint of that, even though yes, you, I I think. And we'll talk about this when we get to it. I think the apex of animation, period, in America right now, American CGI character animation, is Coco. Because uh, the character models in Coco are constantly doing the work, and it never feels like they're overacting. Um, whereas here, I feel like Riley, I think the humans are so well-acted, like, well but then the emotions are very stylized, very kind of puppet-like, which is endearing... Uh, But yes, I would agree that it's kind of At points, Joy kind of comes into also I think Joy The face doesn't do much And so sometimes she's just Does like that Disney style of acting Where she's waving her hands all over the place And that doesn't feel like it's matching what Amy Poehler's doing necessarily I do think Mm -hmm. um, I think if We have to pick a fave I think my forum chose right I think Phyllis Smith in here is kind of a revelation uh, Considering what we know her from Is just that woman from the office who's kind of sad, she's doing a lot of work here. But I also think this is like Richard Kind's like role of a lifetime in a lot of ways too. Yeah. Again, it's a movie where it's like you talk about any specific person, you're like yeah, but then there's this person too. And it's, I think the biggest thing that turns me off from the sequel, and I've said this before, isn't really my joke I said about like you know, uh, like these emotions that makes no sense for the world. It's the idea that we Bill Hader and Mindy Kaling are replaceable. Because um, I think even their small roles in this I think the funniest scene in this movie Is when Fear's watching the dreams That scene cracks me up so much Every time uh, Part of it is like Fear's like Reactions, it is also the dream But just Fear like being like Boo, pick a plot line and stuff like that and It's just perfectly voiced by Bill Hader just, And we, we're we big fans of Barry On this show uh, I don't know if Don watches Barry But me and Mark are pretty big fans of Barry Bit mixed on the final season but who isn't Um, well, we mixed
0: on the final season. Okay, well, you're the only person
1: I know who's mixed or not mixed or negative on the final season because everyone else I know kind of like well.
0: Well, I'm mixed. I'm mixed in the way that you can be like critical about good art, but I think that like the finale of Barry is fantastic. Mm. So. Nah, man, I'm right. <laughs> no, 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 no. Every anyway. everyone else is wrong. That's right. Nah.
1: Barry. Barry anyway. season four. The more and more I think about it, it was a big wet fart. Um, but it's okay because we had Succession season four at the same time. So.
0: Well, anyway. anyway.
1: Bill Hader, phenomenal. Willow's Black, phenomenal. Minnie Kaling, phenomenal. Diane Lane, Kyle MacLachlan, phenomenal. The girl who plays Riley, Caitlin Diaz, phenomenal. There we go. I said the whole cast. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. I, I also think um. I don't know it's just you know it's a really I want to talk a bit more because I, I said it quickly and Don agreed but then we I kind of just moved on to talk about more people is um because I do think he deserves special shout out because he was not in the marketing for the film at all and that's Richard kind as Bing Bong and Bing Bong is kind of the secret sauce here that makes the whole thing work regardless because bing bong is not an emotion he is a character that's allowed to just be a character Mm -hmm. Um, uh
2: i instinctively did the the head tilt and bing bong and i'm only uh saying that out loud because i realized that i did in fact slightly breathe during that so if uh you very softly heard bing bong in the audio that was um me forgetting how live recording works I love who's your friend
1: who likes to play Bing Bong Bing Bong. Yeah,
2: I love like so good. Again, the voice and voice acting for Bing Bong, like
1: the design too. Unbelievable. The design of Bing Bong is beautiful.
2: Yes. And uh okay, so I, I forgot about my, my real point, but again, I'm gonna put a stake in the ground in case we're gonna come back to so When we talk about technical aspects, one of the things that was really notice was a like really great use of light throughout the movie and like very subtle uses of light. And one of them joy
1: just radiates.
2: Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. and Not not to be the the guy on a podcast who just reads the Wikipedia page, but apparently that like radiation, the radiance around joy was like a massive technical hurdle, which I think is really interesting because I wouldn't have expected that. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, a quick thing with the, bing bong and light like is he has those like purple accents especially in his like big fluffy cat tail but when he's sad and sadness comforts him and we're like you know midway through our journey of discovering sadness is important but sadness comforts him he cries as candy and uh, the like tertiary lighting or whatever on him shifts from purple to a blue. So now he has blue accents on his tail and blue accents on part of his fur instead of just purple. And I thought that was like a really skillful way. Unless I, you know, my TV was poorly calibrated, but I thought that was like a really skillful way of like using the medium and like getting that characterization, that interaction with sadness across.
0: I do. I do appreciate the different little details, like on the train of thought. It has the names of all the islands on it and stuff like that. Mm. Like the the world has consistency, you know, within itself. I don't know. I felt like like Bing Bong is another another one of those things I kind of like bounced off of because I feel like I had a bunch of imaginary friends, and it just. I don't know. There's So much in this movie seems like it's hard to... It's hard to know if this really came from a real person, you know? Because it seems kind of like an adult's idea of what a kid's, like, little imaginary friend would be. But I think that, you know... Like, obviously, in real life, little kids are darker than they are sometimes portrayed. But I don't know. I don't even remember if I had a bunch of... I mean, I think I... I'm sure I had like a few imaginary people that I played with sometime, but I don't even think I had like an imaginary friend.
2: And definitely not one as creative as being bought. Yeah. That like various No, I, I can't imagine myself or really anybody, uh, a, a cat, cotton candy, dolphin monster, you know, like having mm-hmm. an imaginary friend and I did like the, uh, like that concept of imagination and uh, the the lava and everything because that is very true um or like very relatable but yeah the bing bong was like kind of out there but I, I again i think it kind of works because it it is supposed to be for children i guess so it really has to get the point across that like look like at this silly imaginary friend i don't know
0: mm-hmm and well and I will say to the movie's credit it does cut a dog in half so that's that, the that best kind of scene in the movie me.
1: that's what I was saying that's the best part
2: yeah <laughs> I, I did not forget about that and Then when they showed us like uh, like a ham slice uh, for the middle of the dog I was like wow okay cool
1: wait I was going to say something about Bing Bong that I meant to say which mm. is um first off my imaginary friend was Kaka Chihuahua very cool dog Second. (laughs) You named Um,
0: named it after, like, a word for shit?
1: I didn't know that, Mark. I was young. One thing people forget about this movie, because this is a movie that, you know, has become very much a part of the pop culture lexicon in a way that makes it so you forget the build-up to this movie. Which is the first time I watched this movie. We were coming off of Wreck-It Ralph. We were coming off of Big Hero 6. We were coming off of Frozen. Um, and even though Pixar hadn't done it, a big trend right now in animated film was twist villains. And so when this character shows up in the middle of this movie, it's not in the marketing at all, and he goes, oh yeah, all I want to do is make sure Riley remembers me. Your My gut instinct is like, oh, okay, so this is the bad guy. Mm. This is the guy who's going to mess everything up because he wants to be remembered. And so then when the ending happens where he's like, Riley means so much to me that I will give myself up for her in order so she can feel joy again. That hits so- I mean, it still hits really hard. But, like, that is not where you expect the storyline to go with Bing Bong when you first meet him. Because also he does that suspicious thing where it's like, oh, let's go into this thing that says danger, you know? There's this whole thing where it's like, there's all these things that I think isn't actually intentional- but it's like when you go in thinking like this guy's gonna be the twist villain there's all this stuff that happens when you're like of course he's gonna be the villain and then it's like no he is actually the sacrificial lamb here to show the meaning like not the meaning but the transition of adulthood uh, childhood to adulthood so his well, Homer it,
2: Simpson bit when he he spelled danger and goes yeah shortcut like, that is a classic Classic bit for a reason.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think that it is kind of justified that he can be a little bit chaotic in a way that would make him seem like the movie's main villain because he represents a time in Riley's life where she had no concept of danger. Mm -hmm. So he, like... I mean, he, he actually is dangerous in some ways, and he dies by um sacrificing himself and protecting someone else and that was never that was never the way he worked before like he he always was a like not selfish but he it's not like he had a conception of things outside of himself or playing around with riley this imaginary character cannot exist anymore once it feels um responsible for someone else and caring like in a self-sacrificing way and this is this is just like i here's my thought about bing bong is like as soon as you see him i think he's going to die
1: (laughs) and like he just has those vibes about growing up and here's the imaginary friend who's fading from all the memories what's gonna happen to him
0: (laughs) that's kind of my like you know, it's all a metaphor. You can make everything work. When really, my actual lived experience watching the film is, oh, this guy's gonna like teach us something and then die on the Death Star or something like that. And um, I felt that way about. When sadness starts, like, the first time that sadness touches one of the memories, and then Joy is like, don't touch the memory, sadness. I'm like, all right, so that's going to be the end of the movie. It's part of the reason I kind of bounce off of it is because it's just, like, it seems so clear what is going to happen. And all of the steps to get there are... I mean like obviously not necessary the more every time I talk I talk as though I am someone who cares about the rules of the world because I do and I always talk myself out of my initial argument which was that we just need to let Pete Doctor tell us his story in the way that he wants to but I it's hard for me to do that so anyway
2: I will say that I I think the part that leaves me behind the most and I think it's only like 10-ish minutes but Joy and Sandus get exiled, but before they get being bong, they just like walk around and complain to each other for a while and I unbelieve, like ice pick boring. I don't I don't get any characterization out of it. And I don't know it's because I know they're not characters or whatever, but like just a waste of time. And then finally they meet being bong and it's like, okay, we can get some sill you know, have some fun again. But yeah, I'll say that there is that like a doldrum for me. So I, I see what you mean of you can you can get detached quite easily.
1: There's one thing that just popped in my head too where it's like the rules of this world make like, no sense, which is uh we we can I can say it and just move on because it's like this is this is what I'm saying went along with like that train of thought thing where it's like they end up in the memory dump and things are fading away so quickly. But don't worry, the wagon that was dumped in here six hours ago is still here. Um like Oh. You know, it's all stuff where it's, like, very nitpicky and it's silly because it's all a metaphor anyway, so it's like, why am I doing this, you know?
0: Well, I don't mind the wagon either because that's one of those things where it's like, well, you want to see them use the wagon, right? Like, yeah, that's one I of the agree. few things that has this element of spectacle in the movie that you're like, oh, wouldn't that be cool, you know, if they use the wagon? It's not like, um, I don't know what I'm saying, but it's, yeah, I don't mind that the wagon sticks around. That's not something that bugs me.
2: I was just going to say, yeah, the danger is inconsistent down there because there's there's the massive piles of, of memories and some at the top are evaporating, but there's still many below them. So, like, even though they're in the gone forever zone, they still don't leave forever for an indeterminate amount of time. And then, yeah, Bing Bong starts fading immediately. His wagon's fine. But what I was looking for, again, with, like, Joy and her, like, glow is joy is not affected at all so there's like i guess there's a danger that she needs to get back to help riley but can emotions be forgotten? like how would that work that joy would disappear and like
1: as we know at the end of this film we see that everyone has those core five emotions and inside out two we're going to meet new emotions so perhaps that is the end of inside out two is that joy is going to make it so riley forgets puberty She's, she's like gonna 300 the new kicks the memory
2: anxiety does. into the memory <laughs> hole from the space needle.
1: She's like, mm-hmm. this is what therapy does! Punches in anxiety.
2: <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> well, that's something <laughs> that Terrible I lessons to teach children. Don't worry, you can just forget about being anxious. That's not going to happen. <laughs> if, if you but still I have like it as an adult, it's
2: because you're broken! Pixar! <laughs>
0: But I think that's something that is kind of true about the movie is that when she's running away from home, she's not expressing sadness. Like, when you're doing something that is, like, dangerous to yourself, you can be in this state of... Not, like, non-feeling. I just don't know if it's a feeling that would be represented by these Pixar feelings, you know? But you have this kind of uh, tunnel vision and this, like, drive to do something dangerous or bad for yourself or whatever and so i think there is some truth in that when she meets back up with her parents that's when sadness can resurface and that's part of why expressing sadness is important because then you know you can like when you allow yourself to feel emotions and open up to your parents or whoever that's when you can like start to heal and be a whole person and then, and then and then like take a step back and look at your look at your situation and be like oh no I'm not I shouldn't like get on this bus to nowhere you know
2: I mean that that makes sense to me it feels you know feels like you're kind of almost describing like the lesson of the movie of, of you gotta let in I thought the depression I guess it could have been more dramatic but it made sense to me the, the numbness that feeling that you were saying of like now I'm feeling yeah just numbness numb. that's
0: the word yeah.
2: And that goes that also goes back to Um how this story is only possible because of like her good background or whatever, but like what's it what's an alternate movie here where she's from like a troubled home, her parents don't notice or care that she's gone and now she's just like numb. And, you know, like that
1: Well that's what happens though. She begins to become numb at the end of the movie, you know?
2: Yes, but then she has the reunite and then embraces the sad you know, does that growing up, embraces sadness, but yeah that like this movie but for people with uh, like other experiences what is it what is it like if you're you're numb like that for, for years or something you know how does how does uh, Inside Out handle like Zoloft or whatever just that uh, slap sadness back well, awake and then uh, you know the numbness that, starts that to was go away I
1: almost mentioned earlier which is to me the entire like idea it's not that the idea that they have for Inside Out 2 but the fact that we're getting Inside Out 2 is so funny to me because I remember, like, as soon as this movie came out... For some... Like, I think this was, like, the... I mean, YouTube's always been a thing. But I remember immediately being on YouTube and seeing so many, like... Obviously fake things, like, Inside Out 2 plotline. And it's, like, Riley as an adult. And it's, like, what's... what's going... Like, trailer release for Inside Out 2. And so the idea of there being an Inside Out 2 coming out... And having the exact same, like, fake logo. Like, logo that all those fake ones had. is just very, like, Very funny to me. Um... Cause I feel like, mm-hmm. yeah, I think, uh, I think what's interesting about the end of the movie too is, is like a bad idea causes depression is basically the implication. I feel like it's like the idea is bad that they plug in and that causes the entire thing to go haywire. Um, but I think that in and of itself is thing. I don't know. I actually did have like a serious conversation to have on this, but I'm starting to get worried about my battery on my computer cause I don't know what's going on with it. Um...
0: Well, we can get the serious conversation in. I keep, like, trying... We Like, we keep kind of going off to, like, let's talk about the technical aspects of this movie. For me, it always comes back to the concept. I just... I don't know. I'm not getting any... I don't get a lot of ground out of, like, talking about the technical aspects because if you start to talk about things like characterization, then it, it quickly becomes like, well, what characterization? And, like... The direction. Oh yeah, we know where everything is all the time, and the movie like really drills it into your fucking head, you know what, how like core memories work, and that kind of thing, uh, in in a way that makes me tune out of the movie. But that's what I'm saying is like if we talk about all like the technical stuff and not about you know whatever thoughts we might have, I, I don't know, I start to get negative.
1: Well- I have phenomenal news. I got my charger to work, which means I'm now completely locked in and engaged with this conversation. But, Mm. alright. So there's a lot of things I want to talk about emotionally with this film. Um, One of them is like a big depression moment that I will get to at some point, but I don't want to start with. Uh, But one is, I think there's a very deep sorrow to this movie that's left very unspoken that always makes me feel very sad at the end of it, which is that, you know, you see... All the islands at the end of the movie. And you know, you see Friendship Island's back. You see Family Island's back. But you know what I always notice isn't back? is Goofball Island. Uh, Which I think is a very great thing that's not commented on. Because it's just like, that's just gone. She's too old to be... She's no longer, that's just not her anymore. And I think it's something where... The movie never really dives into the parents' actual emotional state. But I have to imagine as a parent... That would be something very noticeable that your child has moved past. Um, And I think that is a very remarkable thing that's left uncommented on. I think in a way it being uncommented on just makes it even more sad. Um, And it's something that always just It doesn't make me cry or anything, but it gives me like a twinge of feeling at it. And Um,
2: quickly, and they're destroying imagination land, right? Yes. Like... The...
1: Not only are they destroying it, but the rep- the things they're building there are stuff where it's like, it's a house of cards. It's like, okay, that's not really imaginative. It's just something older people try to do to like pass time, you know. Mm. It's not like uh, anything particularly special. And of course, you know, this all comes back to like Bing Bong's dying mm-hmm. too. It's like, it, it all this thing where it's like there's this big moment of change going on in Riley that would have happened anyway without the move. And the film is so focused on the move. Because it is. That's what Riley is focused on. So that's fine. But it's just... It's also like a big... That's why to me like the plot of Inside Out 2 being like, This is about puberty. It's like, I feel like Inside Out 1 is already about the death of childhood. That I don't necessarily think that we need to do a full out puberty thing. It's kind of like Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3. Where it's like, I like Toy Story 3... But is Toy Story three necessary? Because everything Toy Story three does is summed up by the line uh, at the end of Toy Story one, where Toy Story two, where Buzz is like, like where it's like, we'll be with him or Woody's whoever says it. it's like, aren't you afraid that Andy's gonna grow up and move past us? Yeah, he will, but we'll be here for infinity and beyond. And like that's what Toy Story three is, is dealing with it. But really, nothing really goes beyond the line that was already said. And I feel like that's what Inside Out two is gonna be. But The thing I had in my mind that I actually was like very deep talked I'm like, I don't think I, I don't know if I'm ready to talk about this. I've never talked about this on a show before. Um, maybe I have, maybe I did talk about it in our early episodes, but I think about in this movie, this is the first thing that immediately stuck out to me on this watch. I don't think I've ever thought about before is when Riley breaks down crying in her class and a core memory is made and joy intercepts it from becoming an island And I think about, even though you know this all exists a metaphor. What happens if she doesn't? You know, what if that becomes a core part of Riley's personality? And I think that is something that, in a weird way, happened to me in a very traumatic sense. Because I think that's not a core. I think that becomes a traumatic memory in a way that becomes a root part of you. And by Riley by intercepting it. Instead, her traumatic moments becomes the moment of catharsis of her parents at the end. Which means ultimately, by Joy intercepting, she helps Riley out a ton. Um, but, um, I think about, there's this moment that Dawn, I think you were actually there for, was a very traumatic moment in my life, and it was when I was, uh, and it sounds very silly, it sounds very actually inside out, it sounds very first person problem. Um, But, you know, I've been talking to my therapist and people and, like, how it's, like, you can have trauma that doesn't matter. You know, like, it is fine to be traumatic and not be, like, well, you know, other people are dealing with, like, bigger shit. Uh, That's fine. It's not, like, everyone is traumatized by something. But I remember my senior year of high school when I tried, worked my ass off to do speech and debate, try to make it to the national stage. And then, like... I didn't make it by like one spot and I just broke down crying on stage in front of like everyone Uh, and like it was just it's a moment that has stuck with me for years, it's a moment that I think uh, sent me into a depression for the end of my senior year and there was a lot of things that built up to that moment too it wasn't just speech and debate, there was other dumb stuff of a girl that was very stupid of me and immature of me Um, but You know, it's something that I think irrevocably changed my life in a way that I don't even really ever think about. Uh, I think it made me a much more cautious person. It made me someone who feels like I need to prove my worth way more than I probably should. Um, And I thought about that when I was watching this movie and Riley's breaking down in class in front of everyone. And that's going to be a core moment for her for the rest of her life. And I don't know. I don't think there's really much to do with that thing. Um, And it's something where I think even talking about it now on mic, I'm avoiding talking about specifics about it because it is still a very traumatic moment in my life that sounds silly that it was traumatic that I didn't get to go to a national tournament. But it really is something where like it coincides with so many of my anxieties in a way of am I worth it enough and being told on a grand stage that no, you are not. Um, And that's really what it comes down to. <laughs> you know that. Uh, And it's something where aware? this happened oh, like... Sorry. This happened 10 years ago, and I'm still feeling it in ways that even though I've processed it several times, worked through it several times, it's something that feels irrevocably part of me. And that's just something you got to deal with as something that's like a core memory, you know? Uh, but yeah. Anyway, what Mark were you going to say?
0: Well, were you like embarrassed in that moment or was it something that like other people confronted you about later on?
1: I wasn't even embarrassed about crying in front of everyone. It was something where it's more like... I feel like it's something where it sounds funny that this happened like senior of high school but I don't know it comes down to I always think there's this line in in the heights where I'm gonna butcher it because I don't have that movie memorized or play memorized uh, and it's really funny for me to like as a white guy repurpose this for my own senses and purposes because it's like that movie is about people in a much different socioeconomic area than I am but it's like you know people tell you the world is like a place where Hard work and perseverance. What?
0: Never mind. Go on.
1: People tell you this work. The world is like a world where like hard work and perseverance is what really matters, and everything comes to those who like wait and put in the effort. And it really isn't. It's all dependent on other people's opinions of you in a way. Uh, and if people don't like you, or if if you fuck up in front of someone, and that's it. Then you're fucked, and I think it's something where you know I was a very privileged kid growing up. I was someone who got a part in every play because I was the only boy in our high school who wanted to do plays. Um, So it was something where I never even had to worry about it. And here it was on a grand stage being told, "You're not a good actor. You can't even." Because the thing was, Mark, I didn't even need to place first or so. I needed to get third place, and I got fourth place. And it's like you couldn't even get fucking third place to of people who are like the small indiana district that you are in you know mm-hmm. um, and it's just like well shit like what the fuck am i then uh and it also didn't help that like again this is all this is all related to past trauma i am not it sounds weird i'm not hung up on this but it's something where it's like i know this is something that affects my personality to this day um but it's like the person who beat me was the girl i was having issues with too uh, so it was like all caught up in this big thing where it was like you already are having issues with someone here who just beat you and you mentored and they beat you. Um, and you feel no joy in this because it's all been caught up in this dumb emotional thing you let yourself be caught up in. And moreover, it is something where at in the grand scheme of things, it's being told that your brothers... That's really what it is too. It all comes in sibling rivalry too. It's like your brothers are Tim had already qualified for nationals that year as a sophomore and it's being told your brothers are great at this thing and you are not you are you are the failure of your family because everyone else matters and is good enough and you aren't um, anyway that's what came to my mind when Riley started crying and a core memory uh, was formed was this deep trauma of mine from a couple like 10 years ago that I feel like if we are to take the world of inside out This probably made an island of mine that's, like, called Cautious Island or Protect Yourself Island or more likely something where it's, like, one thing I've been really working through recently as, like, a person is how often when I'm with friends who care about me, I still feel like I need to prove myself as, like, the funny guy and I put on this persona and I think it all comes back to that, you know, that thing where it's like, well... You bared yourself, like, dramatic. Because it was dramatic. It was drama. It was, like, something where I really worked to, like, show my emotion through my work. And I was told, well, you didn't fucking do it well enough. And in response, I was like, well, then I need to fucking amplify the weirder parts of me that make me prove that I'm worthwhile to have around. Um, anyway, <laughs> this is our first really. Hi, Don. <laughs> You're here for the first really big, like, diving into my trauma in a while. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, this is, this is, um,. Well, I don't know. I think these are fruitful episodes. We just haven't had one in a while. And now we're having one with a guest.
1: <laughs> and Don was there. Don I think was there mm. seeing me break down on stage. He probably doesn't remember it because it wasn't his trauma. And that's fine. <laughs> yeah.
0: Don, do you mind if I share a personal trauma story? I'm in it. I'm so in it. Okay. I don't want to go I don't want to go more than like I don't want to go too much longer. But Um, that reminds me of something, and then even something in Inside Out reminded me of this moment, and it's another reason that I bounce off the movie, because I'm like, this is not how this fucking happens, um, but, uh, I remember, um, and, and this is related, I think, in some ways to your story, Danny, but I'm, I'm wondering if it's illuminating or, or useful, or maybe not useful, but just, like, I don't know, just another, Another tale of something similar. But anyway, so, like, Riley's on a hockey team, right? And I I played basketball in, like, grade school. And I didn't do it much beyond then. But um, there was one game where I remember, like, I kept fouling. And I was never really sure why I ever fouled in basketball. Because I found out, like, doing basketball, like, at a grade school level, even then, they're not actually going to, like, teach you basketball. They're going to just, like... Train you in basketball because I don't know, like they assume that everyone knows basketball, but I was just like, I'm just like fouling so much. And uh, at some point, I just like get so pissed off that I get like the foul call and then I just like take the ball and then I slam it down on the court tw- uh, twice. And I think that was like twice was like the big thing. It was like, oh my gosh, he's mad. Um, and I think, I don't know, I got, like, carded for that. But then I remember, like, um, afterwards, like, driving home because this was, uh, this was like, an away game in a different town. But, um, like, my dad was, like, really pissed off about that. And I'm not hung up about this at all. I'm telling this story because I think that it's not something I'm hung up about. And I know it involves other people. But, like, my dad, who is not, like, like an openly like very angry guy was like very mad and it was like oh my gosh this was like so embarrassing and I uh, like I can't believe you did that and once again like this was a fine reaction because I think that all of that is true but like part of the reason that I was like so frustrated in that moment is that like like obviously one partly like I don't know if I don't know shit about what I'm doing, but then also like I was like super bullied on that team. It was yeah. a team that did not like to have me around. Like all of those guys were dicks to me. I always worry about telling these stories because I worry that I'm gonna like have some Liz Lemon moment someday where I'm like, oh, I was the asshole in like in all of my past memories when I thought other people were mean to me. But I'm just saying I had that I had that moment of like public humiliation. But like all of all of my my grief about that actually came out of like other people being mean to me and being like, oh, you don't know what you're doing. And like, God, why don't you like, why are you fucking here? And then my dad was annoyed with me and then the answers to like why are you fucking here is that like years later I went back to my grade school just because I was like in town visiting and my like my, the people that knew me at that time like didn't ask me about like oh now you're like doing theater which is a thing that you did then and I was like but it was like oh I remember you because you were on the basketball team like this was a real thing because people like valued sports. Yeah. Um, and not the thing that I do now, and and people just hated me because I was like not into basketball. I have so many. Mo- I have I have other like memories that stay with me of people actually teaching me how to do things in basketball, like taking me aside and being like, "Okay, here's what you're doing wrong." Like that's so meaningful to me because that wasn't part of my experience. But I only I- say that to um, to say that like. Uh, part of the reason I bounce off this movie, and, and part of I think a lot of these experiences are like other people can be really awful,
1: you I, know. Well, and especially
0: you mentioned like Goofball Island, well, like you get rid of Goofball Island because, like, like any emotions you express become ammunition for people that want to hurt you, you know. Like, that well, seems so clear to me. Um, well, wait, and not that, like, I... you. You have a very healthy, like, goof goofball instinct. I think that's like a good part of you. Um, um, I but, think. But like, I don't mind. I don't like that going away. Is just like, of course that would go away because you 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 meet more and more awful people until you're out on well, your own, and then you can like I... <laughs> choose your your found family or whatever.
1: If I if I may cut in, sorry, Don. I just need to respond to something Mark said, which is. Um, not any of that stuff you just said. There was stuff I wanted to respond to, like, four minutes ago. And it's just that I think the reason why I'm always apprehensive of delving into what I dealt into is because I know now, and I knew at the time, how I was behaving and acting towards this girl that's involved in the story was wrong. Uh... I felt guilt at the time at how I was behaving and treating her mentally. And I feel bad now, but I also recognize now that, of course, I was a teenager. So it's like, that doesn't absolve me of anything, but it's also like, well, you, you had hormones raging through you. Um, but that's why I'm apprehensive of telling the story, because I am pretty aware that most of the stuff in that story, I want to say it's about, and I, I say it's about on this podcast, it is partially about what I said, like, within the In the Heights quote. But it also is about my own mistakes um, within my emerging sexuality at the time uh, that I don't really want to get into, of course, on the podcast because that's way too personal. It involves a girl that will never be able to say her side of the story, so I don't want to bring that up. Um, but it's something where it becomes something where... there. I did have a big support group around me afterwards. And they're like, Danny, don't worry, we still love you, we still love you. And none of it meant shit because the girl I was into at the time was you know part of my emerging sexuality and she was tied into this whole story too Um, and it's just something where it's like yeah I can well one I can never tell the full story on a podcast because she would never be able to say defend herself and my side of the story is inherently biased and nicer to myself when it shouldn't be Uh, but it's also something where well then Danny you're just beating yourself up over something that happened 10 years ago too um but it's something where I want to make it clear that, yeah, your story is like, yeah, other people were being really shitty to me. I'm like, I think the other person who was shitting to me in this story was completely right to be shitty to me. Because um, I was being really awful and toxic to her in a way that I can't even get into on like, or, or even, like, probably can't even get to with my therapist if I wanted to because it's like, this was 10 years ago. I do not even remember what I was thinking, you know? So... I'm gonna um,
0: keep it real. You should probably get into it with your therapist, though. Those are usually <laughs> productive moments when you're, like... You, c- you can usually test the waters with your therapists. So that's kind of what they're there for, you know?
1: Sure. But... Better than a organic. Yeah, true. <laughs> um... But, uh, Don, you're a guest on this episode. Yeah. Uh, Don, it's time for your
0: traumatic story. Well, you don't need to
1: give a traumatic story, but I'll I'll let you guide the conversation because I know we are going long. I have at least two other things I want to talk about with this movie. Three other things I want to talk about with this movie, so.
2: I'm also down for going long as well. Wouldn't mind um, a water refill, but I'll survive without. And I guess we'll just leave that in, so to all the listeners out there, I'm a little parched. Um, I hope you have a nice, nice water, too. do you want to get a
0: water refill? Do you want to get a water refill? And I'm just going to, like, respond to something that Danny said real quick, but it's just kind of a statement. Because I I just want to, like... Well, and I guess we can take a quick pause for water. I just wanted to say, I hope that you see why I I brought that up, where I'm like... I feel like sometimes stories and this movie, too, ignore that, like, other people are out there. That's why this movie is partly frustrating to me, because I think it greatly ignores the actions of other people, like... We just don't get to see a lot of riley interacting with her parents in a way that's not like positive or like cartoonishly dampened you know like shut up like what is this a real problem you don't you don't you guys don't fucking like slap each other around and like you know burn each other with hot pokers and shit like that and again this is me like why isn't this movie like train spotting (laughs) right um But, uh, you know, I don't know. I just, I even, even something like, I think like Lady Bird, everyone would agree. Not everyone, but I just, a lot of people I say is like, wow, Lady Bird is such a great like representation of my experience, even though I'm not a girl who went to a Catholic school, you know? Um, That's what I was really missing from this movie is like the actual feeling of it being like a real thing that could happen to real people you know it all just seems so emotionally false
2: that i i'm gonna have to i very strongly disagree with you with the the movie not showing the impact of external people so uh, you know probably just Mm. missing your point but no
0: no no i i i want to hear it because
2: like most and again going back to like the the material conditions not just like the money but like i think all of her core memories were with other people and again i think you make a fair point of it only shows positive interactions with other people right maybe in the puberty one we'll see some more like negative interactions and how that's handled um but this is like kind of get a
1: hint towards someone else at the end i feel like in the credits when we see the um the cool girl being insecure about herself, but that's not right. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. I love that scene. I was like, Holy shit. Someone's complicated.
2: Yes. I, I, you know? yeah, I think I, I see you have a valid point and that the movie's like sickly sweet and that's fair. But like her memory of hockey, right. Was her parents picking her up. Her memory of family was like, and the goofiness was because of her parents' positive reactions. Um, the Friendship Island was a good time with her friend. And you, I think it's all fair to say, like, very simple examples. It's all positive. But then again, going to, why is this movie train spotting? Like, okay, they played hockey. She fell. And her parents were like... Uh, and that was actually... We talked about the face acting of the humans being so much better. The acting of the little baby that one... was the
1: scene. Oh, sorry. Did
2: such on. a good job of just how kids, they, like, hurt... And they're like about to cry, but they look at their parents and then Riley's parents are like, hey, great job and picked her up and then bam, turned right into a smile, which I thought was like a great little piece of acting. because That is what every little kid does. But a lot of her memories were formed by how other people treated her. And I mean, maybe we'll see that in this puberty one of, you know, she has a, a horrible interaction with. Uh, a friend and now she has like an anger memory because of that or something but I don't don't know if anything and you know maybe that's where we can go next or what but uh, I thought it was interesting that from my perspective Riley has uh, like no agency it it seemed like everything was being driven by the emotions or some background processes like the the brain uh nerds always sending up the gum just for fun so there was that like sub layer of of, uh autonomic processes but can i just
1: say something really quick as a side tangent very quickly yeah triple dunce gun song is not that catchy
2: (laughs) no yeah
1: the bing bong song is Mm -hmm. way catchier as we were saying earlier but the triple gun song—they they really need to come up with like a better jingle. I'm sure they could have come up with something more catchy than what they came up with. You know? Completely
2: agree. Mm-hmm. or uh, you know, got a little yes. contractor or something. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I felt that Riley, the the human, had very little agency, and I thought that was like a very interesting way to portray the mind—that it's just w- things that happen to her and things, the environment around her. And then how these sort of like inbuilt characteristics of her respond to it um
1: i think a part of that though just inherently comes with the problem of the metaphor which i know we've talked into a lot here but the fact is is that the idea this is in air quotes i know we're a podcast i'm doing air quotes no one can see it the idea of running away comes from anger but really what we see are these ideas are i don't think they're supposed to come from the emotions the emotions can put them into action but it's something that Riley is already thinking about. Well, maybe I could run away, you know, type of thing. And then when they lock it in, that's the emotion deciding, like, yes, we're going to try that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, Mark.
0: I want to do a pause because we have not run this along in a while. So let's do a really let's do a one minute. Water piss break and then pick it up. Uh, I don't right need to go, up.
1: so you guys can go. But I'll, I'll just okay. quick as a flash. Okay. Triple dent gun will make you smile. Triple dent gun, it lasts for a while. Triple dump Gun, it's in the kisser. The bad. See, I don't even remember the word. It's not that catchy. Mark, you can keep this in the episode.
0: <laughs> I I wanted to hear if Don, you had something on your brain besides rightfully telling me that I had missed certain parts of the movie because um, I know you were responding to that, but I wondered if you, like, if you had anything that you wanted to share about, like, personal stuff as well. Which you don't have to.
2: No, I'm all set. So, <laughs> not gonna take that <laughs> opportunity, but, uh...
0: All good. No, no, that's all fine. But then, it's so, Daniel, what are you saying?
1: All right, I have three things I want to talk about this movie. Two of them are technical. But one of them I just want to mention, that is, the first one I mention isn't really technical, which is we talk about um, the Pixar Epiphany scene. Um, which is actually, the that actually comes from Soul. Like, Soul literally labels its epiphany scene on the soundtrack as Epiphany. Um, and I think this is one of Pixar's finest epiphany scenes. Um, I think the rewinding of the memory to sadness does such a great job of showing it through silence. Of just, it's not even their facials, it's just how the characters move in the hockey memory. And Don briefly mentioned this, but I wanted to give it credit, because I think her looking up in the sky and it being so blue, and then the parents coming in and just transitioning to yellow, is such a beautiful way of expressing how that works. And then, of course, at the end, when they show the complicated memories that come from the catharsis of her singer parents, which also always makes me cry with this movie... Um, that's just so powerful to me. And that's another reason why the whole premise of the sequel being like, there's also over-emotions gets me really frustrated because I think the idea of emotional maturity is realizing not everything is cut-and-dry emotions uh, is good. And the idea that the sequel is like, no, actually there are more notions in these core five feel like a betrayal of that ending. But mm-hmm. who knows? I haven't seen the movie yet. Wait, before um, you go to point but- two,
2: I, I do, just to drive the point home, that that is exactly what I was talking about. The... Um, Sadness to joy, one where she was sad, and then her parents came in, the hockey team came in. You know, like she didn't yeah. feel happy, or like she didn't choose to feel joy. Um, instead, like this external force. And I, I don't know, I, like just an interesting through line through the movie of how much of your personality is. That's so funny that you had the exact opposite thing. How much of your personality is driven by what the world hands you, what the world does to you, and how other people interact? But that it only turned to joy because other people came to join her. She didn't like have an inner strength to turn it into joy. I well, think also- I,
0: other people oh, just tend to make me sad. I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. I think I mean also- I do. I
0: do just get sorry. a lot of joy out of being alone. So I, I think that's that's, that's yeah, part yeah. of that part think- of it is like, oh that's not my story. I think
1: another thing with this is another thing that popped in my head when I was watching this movie this time is Pixar. A lot of their films are. This is the same point, by the way. This isn't my technical point. Uh, (laughs) Pixar movies, we all talk. There, a lot of them are about parenthood, and in a way, the emotions are parents in this movie, and they're also very childlike parents because they have the same emotional intelligence. It's funny to be like these emotions have emotional intelligence, but they do have the same emotional intelligence as Riley does. Um, Mm -hmm. But one thing that popped in my head is actually a line from Finding Nemo. Which is when Dory's talking to Marlin, when it's like, um, you can't ever let. I looked up the exact quote. Dory goes, "You can't never let anything happen to him. Then nothing would ever happen to him." I think that's kind of like the core of like what Joy is doing in this film, where it's like, she must always feel joy, and that's what she. That's what Riley feels from her mother telling her that like, be happy, and the fact is, is that you gotta be feel sad, you gotta be angry, you gotta be... Like, in the movie, Outright tells you, you gotta be angry, you gotta be disgusted, you gotta be fearful at the very beginning of the movie. Like, Joy completely understands why those other emotions are necessary. She does not understand why sadness is necessary. And sadness is necessary because you cannot have Joy without sadness, and you cannot have sadness without Joy. You need that juxtaposition. They are so closely related. And of course, this is something I remember reading at the time as part of the characters now, which is why Joy has the same color hair that is sadness. Because you must have both because you can't you can't be joyful without being sad. And you can't, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it all comes back to like parenting as always with Pixar too. Which I think is also in a way the secret to their success is that parents are getting lessons from their movies too. <laughs> like, mm. so, yeah.
0: That's interesting. I did, one of my thoughts watching this was I think that obviously I'm actually in the minority I think because I didn't relate to the movie but I kind of think that part of it like, that would be different if I was a different age. I think this movie really shoots for the, like, very young and then the parents. And I think it's it's very easy for me to see why people in those groups would strongly identify with this movie. And then there are the people my age who obviously do as well.
1: But... Do you know what scene... Yeah. Uh, sorry, this is a is a point one and a half because this wasn't on my list. Do you know what scene I remember thinking was so clever at the time, and now whenever we watch it, I just kind of like, this is a slog to get through, is the scene where they're going for, like, the compactor, and, like, Sadness is just reading out, like, a textbook, basically. It's like, this is deconstruction! This is this is a malleable... And I was kind of like, at the time, I was like, oh, this is so cool. Now I'm like, all right, can we... Can we- Get through this No one in the audience Understands what's what's happening Right (laughs) Like this is clever But it's too clever Um But anyway Um And also like The rules there Make no sense either But it's okay But that was my point I wanted to talk about Two other technical things One is Um Well Before I talk about A very brief also Side point Is this is the movie That made me realize I have a pet peeve Of animated movies And it's a dumb pet peeve But I I felt The moment I felt old growing up, like I wasn't a child anymore really was when animated movies started including cell phones. Um, (laughs) Once animated movies were like, Oh yeah. Like steal mom's credit card. Take her, use your cell phone. It was like, I'm too old. Like this 11 year old has a cell phone. What's going on here? Um, But one thing I adore about this movie that I always, there's a shot that always sticks out to me, but it's just honestly the whole cinematography style is how handheld the real life stuff looks and how natural it feels like there's a camera there. There's a shot um, when she's leaving and the music is, like, swelling. And it's just, like, the shot... It, I don't know exact. It's, like, a very small pan type of thing. But the next shot after is just Riley, like, walking down the alley as the camera, like, moves up. But I just love the shot beforehand where it's, like, a close-up on Riley. She walks past the camera. Uh, but just in general, I love how all the... I mean, it also it's kind of like what I said about Joy and Sadness. Part of the reason it looks good is how... Like classical Pixar the in, like the inside stuff looks like but the outside stuff to me like this looks so cool it looks so visceral uh, I love how it's just air quote shot and animated um, and that's something I always want to give credit to this movie because I think it's something that also it's like the outside is just so dank and like dark and I love it um, and again it's because of the juxtaposition they're able to get away with it um, but I just think it's so cool I just think this movie looks so great in the sense that beyond also Ralph Eggleston's great production design that we should give credit to because he recently died and I think this is kind of the apex of his production design um, but yeah um, but my, my last thing I need to mention which I definitely need to bring up is uh, I think this is Michael Giacchino's best score ever he put out I think the score of this movie is incredible I think when the trailer for Inside Out 2 came out and I don't watch trailers online so I'm just like at wish and the trailer starts and I just hear that doo, 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 doo. I'm like ah Inside Out is back the this, this score to me is just so and it helps that this came out at the time where like I was really listening to movie scores like as I drove and studied and this was in heavy rotation I think there's a very like I understand you have to give the Oscar to Ine Rakone for Hateful Eight I think this is my favorite score of 2015 I think this is a phenomenal score. I, I love every bit of it. I mm-hmm. and the thing I was thinking about very specifically, I didn't I didn't bring it up because I hadn't talked about the score yet. is that scene I was talking about where the shot is so cool. It's like the music is swelling. So it's like do 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 And it all feels like it fits in the soundscape of what the entire world feels like, and the real world and the like inside world feel different, and yet they all cohesively come together into this beautiful symphony of themes. And I think this is Giacchino's finest score. Because Up has that one track everyone loves. And otherwise, his stuff is like very action-y. I think Coco has a great score, too. But it's overshadowed by like the songs. I think this is Michael Giacchino at his finest. I think this is his best work. Um, I, I think this that. movie gets no credit. It doesn't wasn't nominated for an Oscar for best score, somehow. It got no traction. I just think this is a really beautiful, beautiful score.
0: Mm-hmm. I felt that. Even from the very first shots opening this, I was like... I, I didn't recognize the composer, and then I looked it up, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's Michael Giacchino, you know? I just had that, like, w- weird thing, and I don't know, not to go off on this tangent, but you talk about The Hateful Eight, that movie is, like, it's at times, like, subverting the score, and I feel like this is, this is a time in Inside Out where I feel like Giacchino really matches the material and, and sometimes I do feel like ah, another bright action score that out could be from like a spy thriller
1: out of curiosity, I look at the other noms that year Um, there was the Hateful Eight, Inu Morikone which wins, there was Bridge of Spies Thomas Newman, sure we love Thomas Newman Carol, I don't even remember Carol's score maybe it's great Sicario, I know you hate Sicario but Joh- Johan Johansson is dead so we will let him keep his one Oscar nom um, and then The Force Awakens which I actually posit both, I think Force Awakens and Last Jedi have underrated scores because people take John Williams for granted um, so mm-hmm. yeah they have underrated those are good scores um, but I easily would slot in Inside Out over all of these besides Force Awakens and Hateful Eight um, I would slot in over Force Awakens too but I'm saying I wouldn't kick out Force Awakens for it when there's better options to kick out um, mm-hmm. I think they just a fantastic little piece of music and for this movie throughout, yeah, yeah, but
2: um,
1: I think so. But yeah, that was well, that was those were my three points I wanted to get through that became five points. So
0: yeah, well, I'm gonna I might kind of skip some things in our you yeah, know, yeah we can this outline and all of that because I think we've talked about a lot of personal things and a lot of these are like personal prompts. But do we have any other like? thoughts that kind of jumped out at us that we want to mention at the very end or not nah.
1: i i got i went through my stuff so i'm done yeah don do you have anything else you want to say about inside out
2: yeah go over the the like sickly sweet but sadness was in charge of the mom and anger was in charge of the dad um said so that was another thing where i guess they can't really explore like really multiple minds they have to like really simplify but that it makes sense why they picked joy, but it could have been more interesting to like see
1: an angry kid.
2: Yeah. Like mm-hmm. driven by anger. That's your core thing. And then also like the weird little bit of gender, where the dad was like militarized and they went to like Defcon two and had to do the like nuclear keys to put the boot down. It's like, why does parenting your child have to be on the same emotional scale as launching a nuclear war and, ending the world you know i don't know like it's a fun thing but what an interesting choice to make
1: what i really love about the beginning of this movie is uh i can't remember what she says for fear and disgust because i feel like it's the same thing but i like when they say anger is what makes you keep things fair and I'm like that's such an interesting way to put anger
2: that that was gonna be my next point uh they may discuss uh, also, like social, which is interesting, and from my understanding, that is like the most recent of the uh, research. But that was uh, another like choice that Joy was in the lead. But then, yeah, uh, Riley's anger was concerned about justice. That's how they they uh, weighed it, and like uh, honesty was a pillar, and honesty came from a joy, a happy memory. Well some people's parents do not react positively to like honesty and they're taught to lie like would Mm -hmm. they have a sad lie memory and that would be like liar island or whatever i don't know Mm -hmm. but yeah the the anger being concerned about justice is so very political honestly like no a lot of people are not actually that concerned about justice
1: or they're they're they're, yeah
2: Yeah, and they don't – not all anger is righteous. You don't, like, inherently have righteous anger. I don't know that – again, it's a children's movie, so it seems like uh, a a great little way to explain that. The
1: whole purpose of the movie is also, like, to teach children, like, all emotions are good, you know? So you can't really be like, anger is actually bad, you know? Like, it would be very easy to make anger the bad guy, you know? And – you can't. That is true. And I guess
2: that's how I expected it to go on like first watch that anger would be. But he's the one who
1: says, let's run away. So, in a way, he does come off kind of villainous then, but it's like. It's all miserable. Anyway. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, that's true. And I. Yeah, explaining righteous anger to a, a seven year old is probably a little difficult. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, just two little humorous observations. I like how they did use. They, they use their San Francisco. It was like the, the grimy and everything both to contrast with the inside world. But I I think also, um, because it's a child that moved there, she's always going to see it in a negative light. Right. Because it's different. It's so it was like that San Francisco was grimy, both to contrast with the internal world but also as like a little bit of characterization that Riley doesn't really like it here. So she's not gonna be looking on the bright side. It's just gonna be, you know, dingy and wet and mm-hmm. all gross alleyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, I like they use two little bits for San Francisco. Um, one, Anger has a, his own little like piston cup joke where he says there's no bears in San Francisco. I was yeah. like, yeah, wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> And then uh, my first thought when she, they go through the tunnel, cause I forgot it was San Francisco. They go through the tunnel to see the Golden Gate Bridge and she's like really sad when she sees the house. I was like, well, this is actually still relatable for adults um, that she's sad moving to San Francisco um, where a child is sad because she had to go cross country. An adult is sad moving to San Francisco because the rent is astronomical. <laughs> and that will bring you to tears when you move in. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's all I got.
0: I do think there are good moments of humor here. There are the things that... Oh, I laughed out. out loud a couple times. It was a funny movie. Yeah, there are some things that stick out to me that are like grown moments, but that's part of why I liked rewatching it is because little things that aren't emphasized struck me as much funnier. Like a lot of Bill Hader's lines when he's like, oh, it's a, like, it's a good thing that Joy told me earthquakes are a myth. Otherwise, I'd be really worried about California yeah. or whatever.
1: Or, like, like when he's like, well, there's three <laughs> worst-case scenarios, and is the being called out by the teacher, and it immediately happens. Like, that's just really clever, like, kid logic, too, you know? Like, it's all really expressed through all these emotions, but fear, I think, does get the... I, I said, like, you can't really sing line but I do think fear gets the best lines, and then anger and um, sadness and joy... I think the rest of them are really... I think Disgust is, if anyone, the least... Given the least amount of stuff to do. Uh, Yeah. Which is why it's annoying that she's not back for a sequel about her being a teenager. Because I feel like that's the obvious person to raise into the secondary role for a teenager movie. Rather than bringing in new characters. Mm -hmm. Um, But whatever. Uh, I'm not not Pixar. Who knows? Um, But... uh, I think I was going to say the other three outside of Disgust... Well, in Disgust, too, they're all more carried by performance, mostly. Whereas Fear is the perfect combination of Bill Hader and the writing for jokes, you know? Because I think Joy and Sadness' jokes don't necessarily come from being Joy and Sadness. It comes from their adventure. And then Anger is so just like Louis Black going ham on these lines. Like, that are like children being like, You want to give us broccoli? You're going to send us to bed? <laughs> it's just like, okay... Mm-hmm.
2: yes and it, uh, I know I said it was dumb but also quickly um, Fear got Fear was the one who got the slapstick comedy and yes. I thought that was fun too where, Fear has the funnest
1: design too
2: yes and uh, it reminded me with disgust, disgust being the like least used character um, I felt they were all like well characterized through their motion like I like how um, Joy was like super fluid, and like obviously they did a lot of like senior animator moments, as one of my friends calls it, where like she rolled down the hill and like ends up uh, in like the fetal position, but it was all like really smoothly animated. <clears throat> and how like fear and anger and sadness move like fits their characters perfectly. But not only is disgust not get that many lines, but she also doesn't like move. She's got lot, like a po- I feel. she's got like
1: the pose of like having her like. Her hands to her hips and like one finger up type of thing, like you know, like very like, yeah. Th- like she does have the expressive poses. pose, but
2: not like a walk. Like yeah. all the, you know, anger has the the trudge, and fear is like the little snake guy walking around. Where disgust, I don't I th- know. I she didn't seem like as uh, animated. Ha-ha I, I will well, characters the
1: rest of them. I would like to you know get to wrapping up, but I did want to say yes. there. I remember there was a big thing in the time this movie came out where it was like, why are the female designs just kind of blobs? And then anger and fear get to be these, I mean, anger is a blob, but he's like a goofy Muppet blob, you know? And then fear Mm -hmm. is clearly more designed than everything else. And that was why when the trailer for the new one came out, everyone's like, Oh cool. They listened to criticism. Anxiety looks like a little nerve. Like fear does, you know, like it is a female character that looks as goofy as the male ones do. Um, That's true. But yeah. Um, All right. Uh, let's wrap up because we are going long all
0: right Uh, a lot of shows after they talk about a movie they like to give it things some of them give them star reviews star ratings or thumbs up we like to give the film a thing like actually give it something like you'd give a film a gift to show how you felt about it uh danny do you have a gift that you'd like to give the film
1: you go first mark sorry
0: well, alright. <laughs> uh, so, hmm. Well, uh I all right, would you know what give I got, I got, I got it. Actually
1: I got it. I got mm. it. Do you wanna know what I give it? I think sure. it's bullshit that I can go see Encanto in concert. I can go see Elf in concert, but I can't see Michael Giacchino's finest score in concert. In the build up to Inside Out Two we are going to put Michael G- Well, we're not going to put Michael Giacchino on tour. We're going to put whoever Disney's conducting people... Because they do, like, and concert stuff. We're going to let this go on tour in concert. I would love to hear this score in concert. And I know I've given this award to, before to other movies. But this is one that I feel like is an underrated score that I would immediately buy tickets to. Because I would love to hear some of these tracks live. And maybe they've done it before. I should Google Inside Out on concert to make sure I'm not being stupid. Um, but, yeah. No, when you search Inside Out concert, it just comes up with, like songs that are titled inside out um like concert performances of it so yeah that's that's my choice i would like to see this give this a concert tour
0: well Mm -hmm. i'm gonna give this film i have some books that i've been meaning to get to the thrift store because i don't think i'll ever read them even though they seem like things that i would be like interested in and i have some clothes too that i like shrunk in the wash Or that I got but I wasn't able to try on because for some reason all these fucking places now don't have like actual working um, like fitting rooms Um, so you gotta take things home and sometimes you can't like tailor them to fit or whatever But anyway I have this big bag of things I need to take to a thrift store and instead of taking them to the thrift store I would just give that bag to this movie
2: you want to give this movie some garbage?
0: No, no, I, they're just things that I have no use for, but maybe someone else will.
2: Oh, I see. That's okay. <laughs> uh, what do I want to give this film? Uh, yeah, this used to air. be my
1: dorm room poster, by the way. I forgot I mentioned that. This used to be Norma the North in, uh, Inside Out. Those were my two dorm room, door posters I used over the years.
2: I don't know. I guess I would give this movie. A book, you know, like a little 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 parenting book or self help book or something like Five that. Which seems <laughs> that's you no know, the, the the puberty movies. The second one, um, <laughs> I I don't know. It just uh, I guess I didn't bounce off of it as hard as you didn't, uh, Mark, or at least like I kind of had fun playing in the metaphor. So I I almost treated as like a little bit of. Um, like pop science almost or a little bit of science communication i know like not really but um i thought it was fun i thought i enjoyed watching and hopefully some people got like an interesting idea of uh, a theory of the mind out of it and uh yeah
0: well this was uh, a wonderful episode is, yeah this is Done. a really good episode Thank you for coming on. Sometimes we have people who want to or need to promote themselves on social media. Do you have anywhere that people can find you? or No. Okay, yeah, good. I, I don't,
2: I'm not there. Don't look. <laughs>
0: Great. Wonderful. Well, thank you. You've been a wonderful guest. I'm glad that we got to have you on here. Uh, Danny, yes, what thank are we... you. Yes. Danny, what are we well, doing next, next
1: time? next time, we will continue to be in the world of this film. We will not... Um, I imagine it will be like three times like divide this episode length by three and we'll be lucky to reach that amount of runtime for that episode we'll do next time um we're doing the two short films for this which one of them is Riley's first date but the other one is something called Mind Candy which I double checked to make sure it was actually accessible because it's not on Disney Plus it's on YouTube um I'm very curious what that is the basic idea i have from it is that it's what was going to be the dvd menu but they decided to go with something simpler and they just released it as a short film so it's going to be interesting to watch because it's possibly just a dvd menu um but yes we'll be watching riley's first date and mind candy as our uh next week two short films set in the world of inside out that were both released on home video um Mm -hmm. home video released for inside out
0: but yeah all right Yeah. Looking for the ocean was produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent.
1: Was? Is the show over? Are we canceling the show?
0: Uh this episode has been produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent.
1: <laughs> there we go. Uh the show is edited by Mark Young.
0: Our original artwork was done by Sarah Knoff.
1: You can follow us on social media at Facebook at Looking for the Ocean, Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, Twitter at Pixar Journey, and on our website Looking for the dot com
0: go on my instagram and buy tickets to the show that i'm in right now mr marmalade if you're listening to this on friday morning then the show is opening tomorrow night so you can get tickets for that and it goes for two weekends they're mad cheap i'm really happy about the company and it will be a fun night of theater so go check that out
1: Uh, You can follow me, Danny, at BlankMints on Letterboxd, where I will probably, this weekend at some point or during the following week, rewatch Soul in Theaters, which I feel like I have to pimp out, because as someone who originally started a podcast, like when I started my podcasting journey, my big running joke on The Wives with Ty and Dan was, I, deep it wasn't even a joke, it was a real thing, I need to see Soul in the theater, and I figured it out my way, and now I can just go to AMC and see it that way, too, uh, which is nice. Uh, But yeah, so you can follow me on Letterboxd at BlankMints, and you can listen to my other podcast which i don't know what we're putting out the next episode i have to i have to arrange that at some point but it's called the step club uh we talked about movies that the most oscar nominations you no know, wins and yeah don thank you again for coming on you were a great guest for a as much as i trash up points i still think this is a great movie um so great guest great movie good to have you on yeah. thanks it
0: was a pleasure yeah Woo, see you next time yeah bye everyone